I think of, um, of course, this being Veterans Day, and Gideon, he served in God's military. And it's a matter that the Lord came to him and said, in verse 12, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Valor is courage or face, is, is to face danger. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had somebody that has maybe um, in speaking to you said, man, I just, I'm having a hard time understanding the Bible, or maybe you even had this, that the, the Bible just doesn't seem to be that exciting. Boy, don't believe that for a minute. Don't believe that for a minute. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that I believe is pretty exciting and it's pretty intense when it comes down to it. By the way, I believe this, that the Word of God is a very interesting book, and I mean that in a good way. You know, you'll say sometimes, well, they're very interesting, and you don't mean it very much in a good way. I'm talking about in a good way, though. And, and the Word of God is very interesting if you are interested in it. And it takes you getting interested in it to find it is very interesting. And it is a great thing. It's quite amazing, actually. And the more you're in it, the more you have found it to be a matter of very interesting and in the way that it's real, and it can be very alive, and it is, and it can be very fresh, which it is, and it can be very relevant to your life, which you can let it be, and if you allow it, boy, it's so packed full of truth, and it is so applicable to the day we even live in, and yet it's written thousands and thousands of years ago. Wow. And I hope today you feel the Word of God, even tonight, is amazing. I hope you haven't gotten over the fact that you, have, you do have the Word of God in your hand. And it's a matter that there's people that still don't have the Word of God. Well, one of the accounts that I found in the Bible, and at times I, I can find even the Bible to be quite humorous. I believe God is a God of humor. And uh, one of these things I found to be a little bit humorous is even these verses in 11 and 12. And maybe it just takes a mind like I have, which uh, can be simple at times. And I'm glad there was no amens at that point. But you know, you read of Gideon here, and I actually find some humor in verses 11 and verse 12. Here's Gideon. He's threshing wheat by the wine press. Now, obviously, it doesn't take someone to be very intelligent to figure out that it's a matter that wheat is not normally threshed at a wine press. And so it's a matter that, I don't know about you, but I can, um, I guess, explain this to you in a way that I think of this little pesty pet. No, never would be a pet. A pesty pest in our backyard, and some of you would know it named as a groundhog. And I think of that groundhog, and well, there's been times where we've had um, some, some opportunity to uh, want to just uh, remove that groundhog and, 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 and really try to t- take care of his living being somewhere else. But you know, it's a matter of, as a, if you watch that groundhog, which my son has done, and I've had opportunity to do so at times, not that I waste my time with that, but we're just trying to uh, watch this pattern for some other reason. But uh, it's a matter that that little animal, he sticks his little head out of his little hole underneath our shed, and, and then he looks around and he peeks around, and I imagine Gideon, kind of if I may, I don't mean to, um, you know, ruin Gideon's testimony here, but I imagine Gideon like a groundhog. And so it's almost as if he's peeking out of that wine press and, and he's fearful of the Midianites and, and he's threshing wheat, mind you, in, in a wine press where the grapes should be carried down and it's, and it's down on the hill. It's not up on top of the hill where he's used to threshing that wheat and, and normally trying to, to get the chaff off and to have the, 
that a seed that falls in a matter of really being able to keep that food because there's somebody that's been taking the food. There's somebody who's been stealing the food. And then I come back to the groundhog, and it's a matter of that groundhog, he, he gets out of his little burrow, and his little hole, and as he gets out, he nibbles a little bit here and a little bit there, and then he kind of stands up, if you've seen him, and they stand up and they kind of do one of these numbers, and they look around, and I imagine Gideon, very fearful and very high, and much, much hiding in, in a matter where he's scared. And then here comes God to him and says, I'm with you, and you are a mighty man of valor. Excuse me? Yeah, God, God knows what he's doing in this matter, and God sees Gideon for what he's going to be. And by the way, God sees you for what you're going to be if you will let him. And we got to give in to God and what God's way is. Because if we want God's blessings, we must go about it God's way. There's no exception. There's no, there's no way to put ourselves into, into the, to the mix. And it's, it's God's will, if, you, if I may, or nothing. And God's perfect will. A.W. Tozer put it this way, The Lord cannot fully bless a man till he has first conquered him. And I believe tonight, even this evening, that God has big plans for us. I mean for you. I mean for this church. I believe that God's ways are bigger than our ways that we can ever imagine. And I believe this, that my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And by the way, that's for you. That's for me. And so God wants to use us in bigger ways than we can ever imagine. And for God to be big in our life, we need to notice some things, even with the children of Israel, and even with Gideon, that can apply to our life this evening. And I hope you'll take these things with you even throughout this week. Would you notice verse 1 of chapter 6? It says this, this is not a good start. This is not a, a good place for the Israelites to find themselves. But number one this evening, we must not be bound by wickedness. We must not be bound to wickedness. And I want God to be big in my life. I hope you want God to be big in your life. You know what it's going to take? You not being bound to wickedness. Me not being bound to wickedness. Well, i got to get rid of that wickedness. i got to remove it. Notice verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil. By the way, anytime you do evil, it's in the sight of the Lord, it says. It says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Sin is in the sight of the Lord. And it's a matter of, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. What is God doing here? Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the Lord does not permit His children to sin successfully. God is not a permissive parent who allows His children to do as they please because His ultimate purpose is that they might be conformed to the image of His Son. We must not be bound to wickedness. There's two problems Israelites had. One is they were holding on to their idols. And secondly, they did not obey God's voice. We find these things in this passage of Scripture, even in chapter 6. We find even in verse 25, if you notice that with me, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Why? Because this is an altar of Baal, not an altar of God. An altar of Baal was one of the most wicked altars that were around in that day. And what does God say to do? You need to take care of this in your life. You need to be able to, you want to fight these Midianites, and the Midianites are, are really upon you for seven years. They, they've done nothing but steal and take your food. 
By the way, you don't mess around with, with, with God's people and their food. If there's anything you shouldn't mess around with, it's probably the food. Right? But here's the thing. God had allowed the hand of Midian to take place on the children of Israel for seven years. Why? Because they were doing evil. It's that, that, that cycle, once again, over and over and over, that cycle that took place. And that's why we have the book of Judges. Because the cycle of sin, and then they have punishment, and hard times come upon their life, and then they cry out to God, God, please forgive us, or we need your help. Because punishment has come in their life. Because famine in this, in this passage of Scripture is coming to their life for seven years. God, we need you. That's a, almost a 911. An emergency, not a continual day by day. We must be careful. And God specifically told a man by the name of Gideon to take care of some things. And verse 25, as we just found, he's to take care of the altar of Baal. And then verse 26, once you've taken care of the altar of Baal, then, then you can build an altar to the Lord. You can't mix the two. We must take care of sin in our life and the wickedness that's in our life and don't try to bring God into this. No, God, God doesn't go with sin. And sin doesn't go with God. And so, by, by the way, sin always breaks fellowship with God. Always. But God wanted to be big in the life of Gideon and the Israelites, and God wants to be big in our life tonight. I believe this. So much so that in verse 26, it says, "...and build an altar to the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock." in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took, I find this humorous again, men of his servants, and I'm glad he did this, and did as the Lord had said unto him. That's not humorous, that's obedience. But I find it humorous when he chooses to do it. Notice with me, please, as we continue in verse 27. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, he did it by night. By night. This is the same guy that, remember, like a groundhog in the wine press, hiding for fear that the Mennonites would take. Well, that, that food was important because no one else had food that had been taken by the Mennonites. Why did God allow this to happen? Because God is trying to get their attention. What does God tell them to do? Cut down the grove, throw down the altar of Baal, build an altar to God. And so much so that even Gideon chooses out of fear still to do it by night. What does this mean for us? 1 John 1, 9, we're familiar with it, but it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, you never can do 1 John 1 9 if you don't realize 1 John 1 8. So, what do you mean by that? I mean, 1 John 1 8 says this, we got, and we have to admit this that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know what's wrong with America today? You know what's wrong with even the churches of America today? We don't see sin as sin anymore. We don't think we have sin in our life. We think we're good, we think we, we're, we're here. Praise God for your faithfulness. But you know what? That doesn't mean you're not a sinner and that I'm not a sinner. By the way, my sin stinks. It's gross. It's ugly. It's nasty. It's wicked before an almighty God. I don't hear that much about that anymore. 
You know, four, can I give you just four principles about this that will help us to realize sin and deal with it properly? I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to break my fellowship with God. I, I want that, that sweet relationship, and I want those sweet moments, and, and I want to be, be able to, to know that there's a walk with God and, and that there's sweet times, none other, throughout the day than, than the time that I have with God. And we must get back to that. But you know why we don't do that? Because there's sin in the way. And we must get back to the fact that, you know what sin is? Sin is anything that goes against God's Word. And if God's against it, number one principle, maybe you like to write these down, if God's against it, so should you and I be. Well, I want to avoid it at all cost. You know, that's, that's the matter of loving the sinner but hating the sin. It's Psalm 119, 104, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Not false people, false way. Psalm 119, 28, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Romans 12, 9, Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. A second principle maybe you want to write down is this. Sin hurts God. And it's going to hurt me, it's going to hurt others, and it's going to hurt those that I love, and those who maybe are following. You know, it's the whole idea that we reap what we sow. So if you want to sow dishonesty, you're going to reap distrust. If you want to sow selfishness, you're going to reap loneliness and lack. If you want to sow pride, you're going to reap destruction. If you're going to sow and plant envy, you're going to reap trouble. If you sow laziness, you're going to reap stagnation. You plant bitterness, you're going to reap isolation. If you sow greed, you're going to reap loss. If you plant gossip... You get to reap enemies. You plant sin, you get to reap guilt. But I'm glad that it's a matter that, you know what? Yes, our sin hurts God, but you, you know, if I follow the Word of God, I can also please God. Well, I want to be on that side of it. And I know you desire that tonight as well. And so I must be careful because those who do not love the Lord are not going to help me serve God. They're going to take me away from God. They're going to take me down. It's harder to bring someone up when they've fallen down and you stand on a chair and you were to bring someone up. You're going to have a difficult time bringing that person up to you. But boy, they don't have a hard time bringing you down. Because they're on the ground and pulling you down from standing upright. And if we are honest, we can reap trust. And so if we sow goodness, we can reap friends. And if we plant humility, we can reap greatness. Not because of our own strength, but because God does that. We plant consideration, we can reap harmony. If we sow hard work, we can reap success. If we put in forgiveness, then we can reap reconciliation. If we sow patience, then we can reap improvements. If we plant faith, get this, we can reap miracles. And if you don't keep grudges and have envy and jealousy creeping in, then we can actually have unity. And I want to see what, what I can do to please God Follow God's Word. And I know you desire that tonight, but this is what we're talking about. We're talking about God being big in our life. And so the first thing we've got to look at is we must not be bound to wickedness. It's not going to work. God is not going to be a part of that. He's not going to be able to be big in my life. I don't know about you, but the smaller Jesus is in my life, the bigger I am. And, the, and wait a second. The bigger Jesus is, the smaller I am. And it's important. For Gideon, Baal had to go before Midian can go. 
And, no, and notice another principle, please, if, you, if you're in the habit of writing these down. Small compromises will lead to great disasters. Verse 25, it says this. It says, don't just throw down the altar of Baal, but cut down the grove. What a grove is, is just a little tree. It's just a little pole near the, near the altar of Baal. But you know what God says? That matters just to me as much as that altar of Baal going down and throw that out, get rid of it. Just as much, I want those groves to be away. No representation of any idolatry. No representation of any idols, but only faith, belief in God and God alone. And worship to Him and Him only as the God. And so idolatry, we, we must not forget, is anything we put before God. I believe this. I believe that it's a matter that, you know what, we, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, idols were back in that day, the Bible time. I would dare say this, that the reality of it is, there's probably just as much idols, if not more so, idols in our day. We just don't see them put out in front of us and, and, and worshipped, although we can go to other countries and we can see it. And there's times where we can go to other places and we can see that they're worshipping an idol. But wait a second, there can be idols in our own life because it's anything, absolutely anything, that we put before God. So let's check out 24 hours a day and seven days a week and let's look at our minutes and our seconds and let's check out our schedule and see where God fits in or God is not a fit in, but God is put first place. Big difference. Another principle that we can notice is that we cannot fight fleshly appetites by continuing to indulge in them. It's a matter that we must fight the, we can't fight the flesh with flesh, we must fight it with the Spirit of God. Notice verse 36, if you would please with me, of chapter 6. And Gideon said unto God, if thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, you know what he's doing? He's, he wants to be a deliverer of Israel, and he's desiring to do so, and he knows that God has told him that that's going to happen, it's going to take place. But you know what had to take place before he's the deliverer of Israel? He had to be the destroyer of the false god first, verse 25. See, before you and I can have victory in our life, we've got to get rid of the sins or the problems or the habits that are defeating us, that are debilitating us, that are discouraging us, because Jesus Christ cannot be that unquestioned thing in our life. I'll say this this evening, the bigger you and I want God to be in our life, the more room we have to let Him have. You know what you and I want to do? God, you can have a living room. God, you can have a basement. You know what He wants? The whole house. That's what He wants. God, you can have a little bit of my heart. God, you can have a little bit of my time. You can have a little bit of my service. You know what He wants? He wants all of it. He wants your body. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants all of your heart. I often wonder when we sing, all to Jesus I surrender, if it's really all. Or if it's just being honest, a little to Jesus or some to Jesus I surrender. And God only puts up with sin for so long. Look with me, please, to, to verse 2 of, of chapter 6 here. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and Amalekites and the children of the east, and even when they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, 
till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came up, they came up as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. You know it gets to be a lot when you lose count. It says without number. And they entered into the land to do what? To destroy it. Seven long years. Picture this, please, with me if you would. Seven long years that the Mennonites were taking everything that the Israelites had in a way of food. I mean, how would you like it if you worked hard in a garden, you got the soil prepared, you plowed, you did your best to get it softened, you spent time planting the crops, you took great care for those plants, maybe even fertilized, maybe, maybe even did pesticides, whatever the case may be, but, and you check on those plants and you're watching those plants grow and you see that there's growth and you're excited and you're seeing it come through spring and through summer and in a matter that now is becoming harvest time, which we just pretty much are going through and experienced even around this time of year. And as soon as it's harvest, there's a problem. Just the exact moments, the exact days where you're about to take that crop and bring that crop in and harvest the produce, your neighbor swoops in and takes it right away from you. How would you feel? I know how I'd feel. That was what I depended on. If that's, how, if that's what I counted on for my sustenance and for me to be able to provide for my family. I, I know how I'd feel about that. And that is the Israelites for seven years. Every time. And can you imagine year after year, and Israelites go about it, and they think maybe that, okay, maybe it won't happen this year. Maybe it won't happen this time. And they begin to plant, and, and they think, okay, please don't let it happen again. And, and then their worst fear happens again. Just the time. I mean, all the work's gone into it, all the effort, all the food. Maybe God's people should, should have said that the Israelites, the Mennonites were taking their, their um, cheese. They should have said, this is not your cheese. Some of you got that. Maybe the Israelites had milk. They should have said, you know, quit skimming our milk. But I don't know. But the thing of it is, they worked hard. And the, and the matter was, that you know what God is doing? Why did he let this happen? By the way, when we are in sin, you know the question we ask? Does God even care? Did he give up on me? What, is, what has happened? You know what? It's amazing. It's far easier to blame God for our problems and our circumstances than it is to deal with our sin and our responsibility to God. It's far easier to blame God. And why would God let this happen to me? Notice verse 13. Please, of chapter 6. Gideon finds himself in this question. And we're in sin and lack of faith. We question whether God cares. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, uh, uh, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now hath the Lord forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? Where's God? You must be careful because God had not forsaken them. You know what had happened? They had forsaken God. That was the problem. Verse 10. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Ye have not obeyed my voice. They're the ones who did evil in the sight of God. By the way, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. You know, the greatest thing that can happen for us is, is pretty much very similar to what happened to Gideon. Verse 22, would you please notice something with me of chapter 6, verse 22. 
And when Gideon perceived, there's so much here in this, in this, in this account, and I, I, I'm not probably giving justice to this, to this account in the Word of God, but I want you to notice this, please, with me. Verse 22, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. You know, one of the greatest things that can happen is when we come face to face with God. And we say, God, what is there in my life that I need to make right with you? Because God doesn't want to be bound by our wickedness. And how big do you and I want God to be in our life? It's how much room you and I are giving to Him. Well, I don't want God bound wickedness in my life, keeping that fellowship from being so sweet and from Him using I mean, to the degree that He wants to use you or me. Secondly, we must not think that God is bound by our weakness. Must not think that God is bound by our weakness. You know, God is not bound by our weakness or weaknesses. Would you notice how He used Gideon's weakness and how He can use it, even our weaknesses? It's amazing in chapter 6, but the things that, that takes place would you notice verse 14? It says, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, that thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? In verse 12, I underline, The Lord is with thee. In verse 14, I underline, Have not I sent thee? God speaking. In verse 15, it says, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know what Gideon's realizing? He's weak. How can this happen? God, don't you know where I come from? God, don't you realize where, where I lay my head and what my family's really like? And I don't really have the best of dads. And my dad is the one that is very instrumental in this altar of Baal. That's why he did it at nighttime. He's fearful of his own father, his own dad. And the thing of it is, too, that he knows that he's the least, he's the, he's the runt, he's the youngest of the family. He, he's concerned because his family is poor. How could God use him? That's exactly who God wants to use. God wants to use the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And he wants to use you and I. And you, you know, it's a matter that God's view is not bound by Gideon's reality or what Gideon thinks because Gideon is discouraged and Gideon's in a bad spot. And God comes to him and says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Can you imagine what Gideon's thoughts are at that exact moment? How he thinks, does God know who he's talking to? Does he realize who, who I am? And this is part of what Gideon thinks, that he's the least in a, in, in a family that's poor. And the Lord said unto him, notice verse 16, I underlined, The Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. I will be with thee. I will be with thee. See, God wants to use our weaknesses. God wants to use Gideon's weaknesses for his glory. Boy, eight, verse 18. Depart not hence, I, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my presence and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry. You know what Gideon had just, just asked? He asked for God if it's okay if, I can, if we see a sign about this. I'm not so sure about this. I kind of question this. Can I, can I see if, if now I have found grace in thy sight? Can you show me a sign? 
And on and on he goes with the signs and the fleece being laid out. And on and on he, he goes. But you know what God is showing here? That he tarries. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's gracious. He's merciful. Boy, I'm glad he is. And it's almost as if he's saying, Hey, Gideon, I got a plan for you. You want to mess? You want to wait and kind of, kind of prolong this matter? I'll wait for you. And I'll tarry for you. And I'll hold out until you're really ready, but the plan's still the same, and God's plan still wanted to be orchestrated in his life and, and, and worked out in his life. And God is working with Gideon, actually, and the lack of his faith. I wonder where you and I are tonight. And I love it that, that God does this. And I believe this is orchestrated by God. I believe this is one of God's divine appointments. I don't believe it just happened by coincidence. I don't believe it just happened by just happenstance. But it's a matter that I believe in, in Judges chapter 7. Would you turn over with me, please, to verses 9? It's kind of an antidote of God's grace that can help us even when we get afraid. And notice what he's doing to Gideon. Verse 9, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host. I have delivered into thy hand. What he's talking about, he's talking about the Midianites. He's going to help Gideon with this. And they're going to take care of the Midianites with God's strength and the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But if thou fear, if thou fear, God knows he was fearing. God knows he was struggling down deep. Go thou with her thy servant to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down to the host. Then went he down with her to his servant outside the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels, now we have their camels without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. That's a huge group. That's quite, quite, quite the size. Camels are big enough as is, much less without number. So much so as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a, told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled in the host of Midianites and came into a tent and smote it that fell and it overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. Had it happened yet? No, it hadn't. Verse 21 and verse 22, it happens. But it hadn't happened yet. It's going to take... Gideon having faith, even as it says in verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream. So he just happened to be to hear that dream and those men that were telling the dream, and it just happened that by coincidence he was there. No, God had said, if you are fearful, if you are afraid, this is what you need to do. And he did. He went down and he heard this dream. And you know what that dream did? It gave him a thrust. It gave him strength. It gave him encouragement. And it's almost as if, you know, when you hear someone praise for you, Man, it gives you encouragement. Man, it's strength. And it, doesn't have, it can be in New Jersey. It can be across the state. It can be across the country. It doesn't matter where the prayers are happening, where the prayers are taking place. I believe this, that it's, a, that it's a matter that prayer is the greatest thing we can do, not the least thing we can do. And that encouragement, that thrust, and look what happens. Gideon heard the telling of the dream in verse 15, the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. It hadn't been delivered in their hand yet, but Gideon was arising for the Lord. And by the way, I wonder tonight, as we close out the end of this service, I wonder what in your life, in my life, have we arisen for the Lord in? Are we standing for God in?
Are we willing to say, you know what? Yeah, I got sin in my life. You know what? It's breaking my fellowship with God, and I don't want to be bound by my wickedness. I want God to work in me. I want God to do big things, and my God is so big, and I want Him to show big in my life, and I don't want to be a little small Jesus out in this world, in the world we live in. You know what the world needs? They need big Jesus in our life. They need big God in our life showing forth and showing out because it starts on the inside and works its way out to the exterior. And God does look on the heart, and man looks on the outward appearance. And you know what's going to take place? If we come face to face with God and say, God, I fear that, I, that I, I'm not what I ought to be. And God, please help me to have things right and confess my sins and, and see my sin and not deceive myself in this. And God, I sure don't want to be stronger than what I think I am. And God, you're the one who has all the strength, and I'm weak, and I need you, God. And God, I can't do anything without you. And God, please help me today. As I start my day, I need your help. Not, oh God, by the way, at the end, oh, thank you, God, for being with me today. No, it's a matter I need to arise for the Lord, and arise for the Lord, and, and be for the Lord. Not for Gideon, because it wasn't the sword of Gideon and of the Lord. No, it was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the proper order is so important in our life. And if we want God to be bigger, if his God is bigger, then God is going to increase our faith. And it's a matter that, you know what? Boy, I, I want God to do such a work in my life. So I had to ask myself, what kind of God am I giving a lost world? What kind of God is represented in my life? Well, I guess it just depends on how big I want God to be in my life. Because if I really want God to be big in my life, then just like as Gideon, a weak man, a coward, he used in a big way. He was valiant. Matter of fact, he was mighty. And he's, the Lord is with him. A valor. He went against danger. He faced it. And the Mennonites were taken out, all the host, in verse 21, 22. They ran, they cried, they fled. God used him in a big way. Oh, he had the right military. He had the right instruments. He had the potent weapons. Yeah, okay. Empty pitchers, trumpets, some lights, some yelling of 32,000 men. No, 300 down because God didn't want them to vaunt themselves and boast and brag and say, look at what we did. No, look at what God did. And the, Gide the God of Gideon can be the God of you and I. And what God did in Gideon through a group of people, see, this is how it goes. Gideon saw the Midianites. The Midianites saw Gideon. Gideon saw God, and then God saw Gideon, and then the Midianites saw the God of Gideon. And so just as a group of people experienced the God of Gideon, will there be a group of people that experience the God of you? Me. Is there a group of people that can say, I want that God. That God is big. He's strong. He's mighty. And if I can get the God that they have, my, what God could do with more people.